Hello everyone and welcome to Eat, Read, Through, Repeat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Chloe. And this episode we're going to be talking about books, films and TV that focus on or have some relation to journalism. Which is Sarah's kind of little pet. Yeah, we'll talk about that pet more later. <laughs> okay, but before we get to that, we've got eating, reading, streaming. So Sarah, what have you been, uh, what have you been up to recently? So I've been reading quite a lot. One of the things that I have done recently is reread The Hate You Give um, by Angie Thomas, who is a wonderful human being. And I was lucky enough to chair an event with her. So I I read it just before it came out, sort of more than a year ago now, and I reread it. And it is still just as brilliant and possibly even more relevant than it was when it came out. So she's got a new one coming out in January that I'm really looking forward to. And I've been re-watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine because... I didn't really know what I was in the mood for, but I'm always in the mood <laughs> for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I mean, it's never going to let you down, is it? Yeah, exactly. What about you? Um, well, uh, baseball is back, so I that's been taking up quite a bit of my time, because early in the season I always get overexcited and watch way too much, and then I'm like, girl, calm down, like one game a week is fine, they're three hours long, you don't need to watch it all. I wanted yeah. to talk about, we, we watched Civil War together last, so I, I okay, first of all, I want to say I'm at Sarah's house recording. And uh, just on the food situation. <laughs> We've eaten quite a lot. Um, but she's made a Mexican bean stew that we ate with yogurt that was incredible. And prawn curry for dinner last night. That, that we like, ate with yogurt. That we ate with yogurt. <laughs> so um, the food situation, we don't always report on the eating part of things. Assume it's always going on in the background. But I just wanted to make, make very clear that the eating for this particular recording session is on pause. We've also had halloumi. We did have a loo and baked eggs for breakfast. It's all going well. It's yeah, great. It's great yeah. Um, it's pretty good. But we also but back watched to Civil War. War. So Captain <laughs> America, Civil War, which neither of us has seen since we saw it in the cinema. Not in its entirety. I've watched bits of it again yeah. since. But, um, but yeah. So, Not which so. was an interesting viewing experience yeah. because I love Captain America. Like, yes. he is... He's my guy. He's the he's, one. He's... Yeah, the hero I would pick out of any lineup, I think, just in terms of, I just, he's just a lovely person, all right, everyone? Yeah. He's like, honourable. Stephen Grant Rogers is a cinnamon roll and must be protected. Must be protected. So, um, going into Civil War, I was apprehensive because it was clear that there was going to be a big role for Iron Man and I was like but it's a Captain America film I don't want to see loads of Iron Man and like from the comics the yeah. Civil War immediately <laughs> alarm bells go off yeah. everyone freaks out they didn't do that they didn't go that way yeah. with it but they didn't go any way with it no like, <laughs> um, so basically there's lots I like about Civil War but I don't like that it's essentially it's like, an Avengers movie it's not yeah so it's the third of the Captain America trilogy, and we're supposed to round up what Steve has been going through, mm. particularly in terms of the Bucky storyline, because there is no Steve storyline without Bucky storyline to go mm. alongside it. it is, they are yeah. inextricably linked. But the film is literally mostly about Tony Stark. Like, it's mostly yeah. about Tony Stark trying to atone for things, and how everything that Steve's doing affects Tony. Mm. Illustrated in no better way than right at the very end of the film, I think. When yeah. Steve and Tony stop fighting, Steve gets up to leave. Tony is like, give me that shield back. My daddy made it for you and I have got daddy issues. And then so Steve drops it. And then instead of focusing in a, in a film that is supposed to be part of the Captain America series, yeah. instead of focusing on Captain America leaving yeah. the location that they're in, what we instead have is a long minutes. lingering shot 
of Tony Stark in well, you got pain. Well, you've got Tony at the, the Avengers floor, Mansion. Then, and then Tony at the Avengers Mansion. Then Tony then, getting a message from Steve. And then Tony, well, then Tony hanging out with Rhodey. Then Tony getting a message from Steve. And then, like, you get 20 seconds of Steve right I was going to say three seconds of Steve because he literally, like, you just see his well, you, face. And like, like, well, you get all that sound stuff first, I guess. Yeah, you get a voiceover. So, yeah. But I, when we sat down to watch it, I thought, okay, do you know what? I saw it in the cinema. I didn't love it. Mm. But time has passed. And hopefully this time around I will enjoy it more. Listener, I did not. <laughs> nope. Neither neither of us particularly enjoyed that. We spent a lot of time turning to us and going, and another thing. <laughs> yeah. As we were sort of increasingly in all bit of stuff. Because, uh, and the reason I sort of think of it as an Avengers film is because everybody is in it. Apart from Thor and Hulk who are then brought up about, why aren't they here? And it's like, yeah. because he's literally from another planet and yeah. he went home. And so you see these, you know, huge kind of sprawling battle sequences, loads of heroes running around and everything else. And it's like, okay, this was an Avengers film. It'd be a really different thing, but I feel really hard done by because you don't spend that much time with Steve. No. And, and then there's this weird thing where they called it Civil War and the Civil War comic which I haven't read in so long, so I don't remember it like in brilliant amount of detail, but it's a really in-depth kind of thing about the Superhero Registration Act, which is the government wants superheroes to be made responsible for the damage they cause and being endangered to society and everything else. A little bit like they do in the X-Men films with the mutant registration programme. So it's the same kind of thing where, uh, you know, they want a list of everybody who is a superhero, a list of the powers that they have, like, so that they can be... They can be monitored, essentially. They can be monitored, but there's also there was also all the stuff about like uh, rendition and like the kind of prisons they would be put in, and like they wouldn't be given due process necessarily, like because you know the whole super villain thing. So there was all this kind of like how superheroes would be treated by the law. The film kind of like sidesteps it completely. Yeah. Like they do this weird thing about the Sokovia Accords, which they never you never really get into in any depth. Just like oh the Avengers can't continue to act without supervision. Mm. it kind of all spirals out and it just becomes about the fact that Tony lost his parents mm. and then it, because Hydra was responsible and it turns out it was actually the Winter Soldier who carried out the attacks it all becomes about this yeah. pers- interpersonal conflict yeah. between like it's not an ideological conflict between Steve and Tony yeah. about like how they think, think things but it becomes this like really personal thing about the fact that Steve mm. can't lose the last person that he has and Tony is just full of this rage about having lost his parents. And, and it's, it's a completely different... Yeah, weird. and in in the comic, like, the whole thing around Steve and Tony taking opposite sides in whether or not superheroes should be required to register is really affecting, because in the comics, Steve and Tony are really good friends. Yeah. But in the films, that's never really happened. They tell like, us a lot that they're friends. Yeah, but they we tell us, really... but we, and we see the odd bit of banter. But all that banter is never, it's never really got depth to it. And they never really do it in a one-on-one situation. Like, you know, there's the, the little comments Steve and Tony make about Thor's hammer. But that, you know, if Thor is there and they're sort of on the move. And then there's a bit of banter at the party. But again, like, everyone's there. There's no warmth, really, to their relationship in the film. So it doesn't work as well, especially in that very end scene of the the kind of main action of, of Civil War, where Steve stands up and is like, Bucky's my friend. And the implication is that's why I'm defending him. And Tony's like, I thought you were my so friend. So was I, and yeah. It, yeah. And it's like... Well, 
but it, you don't really feel that. So, you know, and then I think the film also falls down. Well, I feel like we could talk about this for the whole episode, but we won't. Like, <laughs> we were really, I think, really annoyed and a bit angry about the whole Wanda situation in that she's blamed for what is essentially an accident mm. when she is trying to save a whole bunch of people and, like, she makes a mistake and then is treated like a like a a mass murderer and it's weird because they act like her power is the most dangerous thing ever yeah but actually like so a bomb goes off in a crowded square and she's trying to throw it out of the way yeah and it goes wrong because she's not a trained soldier you know all of this good things and this is awful accident and stuff but then they put her under house arrest and are treating Mm. her things there's a lots of the lots of things in the film i didn't like and thinking back to like i don't remember iron man three that brilliantly because i haven't seen it that recently But, but it was an Iron Man film and yeah. it was about him yeah. and then if you think about Thor Ragnarok which came yeah. out just so recently the Hulk is in it and the Hulk is in it plenty but it's about Thor and it's about Thor's story and where Thor and Loki are kind of in their relationship going and everything else and then you look at the third Captain America film and it's not about essentially yeah. they I, I think they didn't really want to I think they had a hard time coming up with a storyline for Captain America 3 so they decided to use Civil War and much as it breaks my heart because I love the Captain America franchise they should have just not done a third Captain America and done it as an Avengers film in between Ultron and Infinity War and and done that but the thing is like there's enough I think there's plenty in Civil War there's some like I think Daniel Brawl's character is fascinating that that storyline and all about that kind of winter because you make you bring in all that winter soldier stuff um, and so Natasha is a really obvious fit into the film because she's got a lot of history with Bucky as well as does Steve so you've already got some of the events going to be obviously Sam's going to be in it as well because him and Steve are like but it was a vehicle to basically set up set up the the conflict that starts Infinity War because the whole point is at some point in Infinity War everyone's going to have to come together to defeat mm. Big yeah. Bad but it was also to introduce Spider-Man and to introduce Black Panther and yeah. like I love I haven't seen Spider-Man but I've heard it's very good and I thought I really, the Black Panther film yeah. was amazing as we know from yeah. the previous episode but the, but this is what Civil War was for it yeah. was to set up a whole bunch of stuff and that's why I, I thought it should have been two films you yeah. had all that Daniel Brawl all that Winter Soldier stuff as the Captain America film, yeah. and then you had an Avengers film that was a bridge where they yeah. could have done the, that, where they could have actually done a like superhero registration act slash Sokovia Accords slash whatever yeah. storyline and introduced Spider Man and introduced Black Panther and had all the superheroes yeah. having a fight in a yeah. airport. Yeah. And things. I just yeah it, I, yeah it's we up were... there it's up there with like it was weird. I think I feel like the MCU went through a patch right then when it was like Ultron. And Civil War came out, and I was like, oh, I'm kind of over it now. But fortunately, then Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming came out, then Black Panther came out. Mm-hmm. And, well, then I wonder if it's because they like, were slightly, it. around that period, they were developing a lot of stuff, because they were also developing like Doctor Strange at that time. They were thinking long-term. I guess was that also around when DC really like announced its ramped-up kind of thing. So I wonder if they just went through a period where they were just doing too much and trying yeah. to um, but I thought that those two films particularly for me were really yeah. disappointing yeah but anyway Infinity War out very 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 soon when you're yeah. if you're listening to this episode before it comes out so we'll talk about Infinity War in great detail we have high hopes despite do we have high hopes well no because I'm terrified <laughs> that Steve is gonna die 
Yeah, I'm preparing myself mentally. I've been preparing myself for like since I heard about civil war. I was like because a lot of very deep meditative states about how I will. So no, I'm not looking forward to it. I don't have high hopes, but also, it's the end of an era, isn't it? It's kind of like this is this and the untitled Avengers Four. Avengers Four are kind of the closing moments of this phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Much tears, much tears before before we start crying though. Before we start crying, let's move on. Um, so we're going to be talking about one of my favourite things: um, depictions of journalism in pop culture. So as a journalist, like I am such a sucker for these narratives, but also I don't dislike them all, but they're all so inaccurate. Like most of them are inaccurate. So I think we'll discuss this as we come along. So anything based on on real life stuff is actually it has a lot of like touch points in it that are similar like they yeah. all share kind of a certain a certain language a certain language and certain qualities but the stuff where it's just like somebody decides to set a film in a magazine guys like have you ever been to a magazine or a newspaper office no but i know how i feel about films set in bookshops so yeah yeah <laughs> it's all like really glamorous and lovely and I, by glamorous i don't necessarily mean like expensive but it's all like aspirational and lovely and i'm like no most journalists generally spend quite a lot of time at their desks like fielding phone calls from people they don't want to speak to yeah like if you're at a, a women's magazine the fashion cupboard might be great but also they don't let you into the fashion cupboard like i'm sorry guys that's not a thing that fashion cupboard is guarded as it should be because it features it has contains like thousands of pounds of di- of, of like more than that of designer clothes and shoes they're not just gonna randomly let some intern in to borrow a pair of monolo blahniks for a night out in the town like but anyway so i do love them but i also love to complain about them so yeah i don't know if you have any particularly strong feelings one way or the other I mean, not not massively. Like there are there are so there are a couple of like investigative journalism films, okay, and TV shows that when I watch them, and we're going to talk about some of them later. But the minute I watch them, there's three films particularly: Zodiac, Spotlight, and All the President's Men. And if I watch any of those three films, I immediately have to go and watch the others <laughs> because they occupy a really similar place for me, like in terms of how how they are, yeah, narratively kind of thing. And I love I love investigative journalism. Yeah. Like movies. So th- this is like the I think the peak of like films about journalism are really the ones based on true stories where you're looking at a particular like incident for want of a better word mm. that is being investigated. So yeah. like I watched Spotlight relatively recently and I kind of switched it on. I thought I'll watch a little bit of it and then I'll go to bed and I was completely hooked. Spotlight is based on the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered um, the scandal of child molestation and cover up within the local Catholic archdiocese and it and it affected like it rippled out and affected the Catholic Church like mm. across the world basically and it's an incredible incredible story and it's about a team of of journalists who the the spotlight team at the Boston Globe who spend like months and months and months on like one story and can really dig into it and that's so rare in journalism now like you found it in kind of the 70s but I think that 
in the UK, the Times had a really famous investigative journalism team, which, and I don't know if this has ever been dramatised in any way, but they investigated the thalidomide scandal, Okay. Um, which is quite a famous chapter that's never been a thing um, I feel like there's a documentary on it maybe and um, actually if you want to read about it the former the guy who was editor of the times at the time Harry Evans um, in his in his book he he talks about the thalidomide scandal and how how they cracked it and how they how they uncovered it so the the spotlight is a similar thing in that that they have this one this one thing and it's just so so well done. Fabulous. I mean, the cast is incredible. So it's Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Liev mm. Schreiber, John Slattery, Stanley Tucci. Like, yeah. Like, several. music is by Howard Shaw, which I always get yeah. excited about when I see Howard Shaw's name on a film. I and mean, it's a very. He's never done anything to rival the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, but you know, it's always going to be yeah. beautiful. It's a very low key film in a mm. way that a lot of a lot of journalism films are. And I want to talk. Yeah. Uh, this moment about a par- like a sort of a parody yeah. of this. But it just it just worth mentioning that yeah. Spotlight was a massive ensemble piece and it won the Oscar for best film that year yeah. and it was a bit of a surprise because everyone was a bit like oh. But it is but it is just like it's a, I mean, every time almost it's always so unassuming and but it just like it mm. yeah just no like big it. dramatic car chases no no sh- screaming matches no, no shootouts well there's a Mark Ruffalo gets a bit yelly at couple I mean points, yeah but like, but in a just sort of like stressed and angry way. In a stressed and angry and affected way, because it's a really emotionally affecting story, and I think there's this one moment with Rachel McAdams and her nan, who is a staunch Catholic, that is just such a small moment in the film, and that I was like, wow, that is so well done. Just the way the way this investigation affects all the reporters' lives is is brilliantly done, and I guess so. Other famous films based on true stuff, like you mentioned, all the presidents, men. yeah. Which I haven't seen in years. Oh yeah, no, I um, what did I, when I watched it a couple of years ago, but that's kind of the gold standard. And I, it's interestingly, because I often I wonder if it's so. There's all the kind of like the cliches of what a reporting film talks yeah. about, and Seth Meyers has done a great little parody film called Newspaper Film or Newspaper like, Movie. I yeah, think. that like highlights all of them, and it's hilarious because they're all in that. But I feel like maybe all the presidents men. Is the one that like, it's really introduced that is them. how, but that is yeah. that is how it was, you know. So all the presidents' men is about Woodward and Bernstein and the investigation of the Watergate scandal and Nixon and and essentially yeah. brought Nixon and down deep throat the Fed, uh, you know, the informant that they had yeah. and and, and uh, but okay. you know that that was back in the that was back in the seventies. That was like yeah. how they investigated stuff. You know, yeah. there were no mobile phones they were like using pay phones when they were out and about so it's like all of those kind of drama things yeah. that now you see in films and you think oh that's like a bit of a trope but it yeah but it is based on yeah reality and it's like you know a lot of these films it's like a cast of men and then one woman and that but that is what it, you know it the post hard. with the the film that was released recently the post about yeah. the um tom hanks and meryl street yeah. about the washington post again but that's because yeah. literally was like one woman I didn't think I, th- I thought in like putting up against these other films I didn't think The Post was that brilliant oh, like, I didn't watch The Post I, I was I didn't have as much weight to it I think because the other film that slots into that sort of thing for me and it's, it's set in that 60s and 70s again and it's it's kind of crime investigative journalism and it's also a bit of a sort of serial killer film is Zodiac 
which was David Fincher who directed Seven and it's about the Zodiac murders in San Francisco sort of through the 60s and 70s so it is a bit gory like there are there, you, there are moments where you can see some of the murders happening but the guy would send um, coded letters to the police and but to the newspapers because he wanted the publicity and he was like taunting them and everything else and the film is it's also got Mark Ruffalo in it <laughs> <laughs> so Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards are playing like the kind of policemen who are kind of like tracking him down but the journalist side of it is that um, Robert Downey Jr. plays a journalist who's kind of a drunk, uh, sort of superstar of his newspaper. And Jake Gyllenhaal plays, he's a cartoonist at the paper, mm. but he becomes obsessed with the coded letters. And then the two of them start to kind of swap information and just become really obsessed with this kind of whole thing. But Jake Gyllenhaal's character cannot let it go. Yeah. Um, and they never caught the Zodiac Killer. It's kind of one of these unsolved mysteries. Mm. But, it, you know, he, for 20 years... 30 years of his life he was just obsessed and he wrote a book about it and everything else and but yeah the film is that that similar thing of them kind of piecing together and filtering through all this information and kind of things but they sit in this they sit in that big the bullpen yeah. newsroom and smoke too many cigarettes and like drink shitty old coffee and like so all those kind of like beats of, of well things. it's kind of the it's, halcyon days of, of newspapers like nobody nobody gets into journalism like I don't think or at least when I got into journalism you don't get into journalism thinking you're going to be sitting at your desk you get into journalism because what you want to do is like uncover good stories whatever level that's on whether it's on like a like a hyper local local regional national international level and and that's what you do and I think that thing of like story the stories they work on affecting journalists they like the big ones should because like as a journalist you're trying to lay bare the truth and and sometimes you're trying to like get justice for people um in in different ways mm. like you know so it's a a good one but zodiac is one i haven't seen actually i quite like it too yeah i really like it it's creepy mm. it's david finch films so it, yeah. it's got that kind of horror vibe to it mm. but i quite i watch a lot of so i watch a lot of serial killer things and that's that like thing but i love criminal minds and i like those kind of like okay creepy crime yeah so a lot of the journalism films we're talking about are based on like real stuff so i watched mm. shattered glass which is stars hayden christensen what happened to hayden christensen okay i just looked this up on imdb apparently he's still making films who knew he never really recovered from star wars he right? didn't no he made that jumper film which had so much potential and which oh, wasn't yeah. very good which was did that have um jamie bell in it yes it mm. did yeah. i watched it on a plane going somewhere and it i liked it i thought it was nice but you me. know fine yeah but he's really like in shattered glass he's like genuinely quite good yeah so he plays a, a guy called Stephen Glass so this is again based on a true story who um, essentially he worked for the, um, a very famous magazine called The New Republic and he made stories up like completely like he would make up quotes he would make up people made up phone numbers for people and The New Republic had like fact checkers who just yeah. you know and it just somehow it just all slipped yeah, really and he like got built away with it for like quite a while, and he was like a star reporter. Mm. Um, and yeah, Hayden Christensen is very good in this film, and it's a fascinating story. It's kind of, it, in some ways, it makes me a little bit sad because you see, it's the story about a reporter not acting with integrity, which I would like to think that reporters should act with integrity, but we all know from reading the news that not all of them do. But I guess there are plenty of films about reporters doing amazing things, but yeah. this one is fine. But it's a it's a really good film, and there is like a genuine. There's like lots of tension in it, and kind of lots of beats where you're like, "What is going to happen?" 
I think like a lot of good journalism films, there's lots of like quiet moments, mm. but it all comes together in a way that's still really dramatic, like you say, without like shootings and car chases and sci-fi yeah. and special effects and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, there, there's also the lighter side of the journalism film. Yep. Like the, uh, the you know, the ridiculous, fluffy... How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> the best of the rom-com. I don't think I've seen it. <gasps> so, let me tell you about yeah. it, Chloe, if you haven't seen it. Tell me everything. So, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson in a rom-com. Kate Hudson works for a magazine. She wants to be, and this is, I think, a narrative we see quite often, she wants to be a serious reporter writing about stuff that really matters. Um, however, her boss wants her to write, like, stupid stuff. So, she... She's like, I'll write an article about how you can drive men away because one of the other girls that works for the magazine is always like going out on dates and falling in love and then the men hate her. By the way, this is one of those films where like they get just pull stuff from the fashion cupboard at will. <laughs> Not happening in real life, guys. So yeah, so she does that and writes about it. It's a really entertaining rom-com. It's one of like the last great rom-coms of that kind of era. Like we don't do rom-coms in the way we used to in like the 90s and early 2000s I don't think but that's quite frivolous and then there's obviously The Devil Wears Prada which is based on real life sort of so it's the book by Lauren Weisberger about and the author Lauren was an assistant for Anna Winter Mm. legendary editor of Vogue uh, and the film is based on the novel so I enjoy both I, I enjoy the book I think slightly more I haven't read the book. I have seen the film. Yeah, um, the book's really good. The book's okay. really good, and there's lots of like things that they obviously had to miss yeah. out for the film. But the film is really good too. Although Chloe doesn't rate Mulder Street. <laughs> no, I don't. No. I'm not, not that bothered. But isn't Stanley Tucci in it? Are we, he is. Is this another film that's got Stanley Tucci in he it? He is in it. So we've had two Mark Ruffalos and two Stanley Tucci's in this in this episode so far. I'm doing well. I feel good about that. As an aside, Saturday Night Live did a really good sketch recently about Stanley Tucci. It was like a music video about how they love Stanley Tucci. <laughs> okay, we're going to watch that after we've finished recording. <laughs> but no, for, for kind of... On the lighter side, I think yeah. The Devil Wears Prada is a fun magazine film. Although, again, not super realistic. Because, again, with the fashion cupboard, it's that fashion cupboard that brings everything down. Do you know what bugs me? And maybe it did happen in real life, but it just was so stupid in the film that it made me furious, was the whole thing about her getting hold of Harry Potter. Yeah. I know, because they did, like, that wouldn't have happened. Exactly. This was my thing. So in the film, there's this whole storyline where... Well, does it happen in the book though? I can't remember now. Maybe it does. Well, we need to we need to look into this because who broke embargo on that is going to get like so Miranda whatever Breesley is it in the film? Yeah. Um, demands that her children be put on the train to boarding school or wherever they're going, and they must have the new Harry Potter book with them. But the Harry Potter book has not been released yet, and um, anyone who worked in book selling around any of the time that Harry Potter books were coming out know that the embargo on those books was no joke. Like, mm. they would come to you in, like, sealed boxes with tamper tape on them, and if you went into one of the boxes, whatever else. So getting hold of a copy beforehand was, like, not really... Just, it's such a... It's such a... Like, it wasn't something... Proofs were sent out. It's not something that copies were... So proofs were sent out for... Early. Definitely the first one. No, but I feel like this is, like, the book... Whatever yeah, book it was. Like, um, one of the really later books... And then there's this whole thing where she goes to the agent to, like, get a copy of the manuscript and then has it 
printed and bound at Kinko's or whatever yeah. it is in America. And these kids go off to school with the brain Harry Potter book. And it just annoyed me because I was like, such a ridiculous story. I can't story remember line. if that happened. I would but be, I would be if desperately did, curious. Oh, because I, I, I've read the book a few times. But even if it did, she would never have been able to take that Harry Potter manuscript to like a Kinko's to photocopy it. Like there is no way that would have been able to. Just like, like and these idea of these two children just being packed off with two copies of the things mm. and they're off to school with it. Like that would have caused. Yeah. Scandal. Although she and um, she I mean, does very well to get it, but the rich and famous can do whatever they like, yeah. apparently. But also, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also in the film, Andy, the character, the the assistant played by Anna Hathaway, she's not great at her job. Like she hates, she looks down on fashion the whole film, which really annoys me. Well, because she doesn't, she doesn't want to do fashion, does she? Does no, she, she doesn't want to yeah. do fashion, but she also looks down her nose at fashion. Yeah, and it and so there's that great scene which I. I think is really relevant to show anybody who sneers at like the fashion world where Miranda um, Miranda is looking through a rail of clothing with Stanley Tucci I think and they look at something and they see the differences in it and they're like which which one should we pick and and Andy sneers. Isn't it two green belts? And it's something like two green which belts. Which green belts it needs? And, and, she, um, and she's like it's the same belt. Yeah and then there's this great kind of put down by Miranda being like, well, basically, blah, 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 from the catwalk, what we reported, et cetera, et cetera, leads to that blue sweater that you are wearing right now. And, like, the only reason you can get that sweater is because all of this stuff came beforehand. So if you don't think it's important, just because it's not politics or world peace doesn't mean that you can sneer at it. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, when, you know, when... People say something on Twitter about when people are like, why are women having to pay uh, VAT on sanitary products? And some guy pops up and he's like, well, women are going through much worse in the world, so why are you concerned with that? And it's like, well, you can be concerned with everything. I can care about the colour of my yeah. belt and I can care about world peace at the exactly. same time. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then for me, if you're looking for like real stuff to watch, the September issue... And the first Monday in May are two documentaries that I would really recommend. So the September issue is quite old now. I think it's I think it was filmed maybe in like I want to say two thousand and seven. Maybe it's a bit newer. And it basically follows the team at Vogue as they put together the September issue, which is the biggest issue of the year. It's the one that has the most advertising in it. And so they do like talking heads with Anna Winter, obviously, and Grace Coddington, who is the legendary fashion director at Vogue and it's it's great for everything but especially like the sniping between Anna Winter and Grace Coddington and like so they've got Sienna Miller as the cover star and Anna Winter wants like to give her all this space and then Grace Coddington's done a fashion shoot that she's like this is great and actually in the end Grace wins because the Sienna Miller pictures aren't as great and so like this victory for Grace Coddington but it's fascinating and then the first Monday in May is similarly it's got a Vogue strand in it and it is about the Met Gala and okay. the exhibition. So it's kind of a bit of a, if you're into museums and stuff as well, it's basically about how they curate the exhibition that the Met Gala always kind of opens. And the one that you follow in the documentary is the year they did an exhibition on China in fashion, okay. just after they did the, I think it was the year after they did the Alexander McQueen exhibition. 
but they are both excellent, like excellent documentaries. Oh, I tell you what I watched recently was um, State of Play. Mm. Not the film, but the TV show. It's sort of a classic, kind of old school British. Again, has everybody in it: John Sim, David Morrissey, Kelly McDonald, Bill Nye, Philip Glenister, Benedict Wong, who's now in the MCU because of Doctor Strange movies, but also has like really young. James McAvoy and a really, really young Tom Burke yeah. in it, like which was hilarious. I didn't know they were in it. I just kind of like they popped up on screen as like little twinkie boys, and I was like, "What is happening? It's weird." But that's it's kind of politics and journalism. So um, an intern at an MP's office is killed by a tube train, and then it turns out that she was having an affair with the MP. But then there's all this kind of like things going on because she had a briefcase with her and what was in the briefcase and mm. back and forth and all the political machinations and he's been tipped as like the next head of the Energy Commission and things. So um, John Sim is playing a reporter who's an old friend of his and uh, Bill Nye is the editor of that paper and they're sort of putting a story together and then you've also got like the police who are trying to sort of mm. follow the story so, and then also the politicians trying to manage it. Yes. Yeah, it's like six episodes. Really good, good gripping, good gripping TV. It was, okay. that was really kind of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, for something a bit more kind of uh, flighty and contemporary, The Bold Type, which um, I think has just aired in the UK, and it is about three women that work at a women's magazine. And the editor there, I think, is based on... Oh, I can't remember a famous magazine editor, not Anna Winter. But it's fascinating because it's um, it's a really good portrayal of, like, why women's magazines are important and kind of the things they can write about. And it's also got a portrayal of a boss who's actually a really nice boss at a women's magazine. And we're so used to, like, the narrative of Anna Winter being quite a harsh boss. And mm. actually, I think Anna Winter, again... I think we said this on another episode if Anna Winter was a man nobody would be criticising mm. her it's just because she's a woman but it's uh, a really a really fun one and then if you want to go back into the archives Press Gang from like way way <laughs> way back in the day written by a guy you might have heard of called Stephen Moffat and starring a very young Dexter Fletcher and Julia Swala and it was essentially about a, a team of kids that had a newspaper and it started as I think their school newspaper um, but then sort of in later series it was more of a commercial enterprise yeah and speaking of writers you may or may not have heard of Aaron Sorkin's got one about journalism right or maybe two so if you know any more do let us know Um, and now it's time for 29 seconds of Terror Amazing where Chloe is going to pitch something that she thinks is both terrible and amazing surprisingly so are you ready yep I am one, two, three, go. Okay, so I'm here to talk to you about Boa versus Python, which is a <laughs> completely trash creature feature. And I love it. It's not amazing in any way, shape or form, except for the fact that it stars David Hewlett from Stargate Atlantis, who I adore deeply. So it's a sci-fi channel original and it's a crossover of two previous films, hilariously called Boa and Python. Um, and it's about a giant python free in the series that's killing people. And David Hewlett's got a, um, he's bred a giant boa and they release it to chase the python down and it's dumb as shit. <laughs> well, well done. 29 <laughs> seconds and, and some pocket change. Um, I don't think I'll be watching that. You don't Sorry. have to, except that it's hilarious. And like, when if I'm in a really bad mood, um, I'm just like, you know what? It might actually just cheer me up because it's really stupid. <laughs> 
And that's all we have time for today. So do talk to us on Twitter at eatreadstream or visit our website eatreadstreamrepeat.wordpress.com um, where we'll post a list of films and stuff that we've talked about today and we'll also post some other relevant links. Okay, and you can always email us at eatreadstreamrepeat at gmail.com if you've got a comment on anything from this episode or anything you want us to talk about in future episodes. So we'll see you next time. Bye.